Lord says in Revelation 5, verse 12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside. We're glad that you are here. Take a moment and welcome those around you. All right, you may return to your seats and you may be seated. While you're doing that, let me just again welcome you to Northside. We're thankful that you are. And Pam Jenkins over here, Wayne is our associational missionary, and it's always a blessing to have them with us. So would you welcome them this morning? I've realized being here three years, everybody picks on Wayne, and he takes it so well. So when he walked in, I said, man, our security team's not doing their job if they let you in. Uh, but Pam said, it, it, but Pam said it's because he was with her, and so we're, we're good. And so we're thankful to have them we also have another special guest with us, 
um, and I'll share more about her in just a moment. Before we watch our video um, on the Annie Armstrong offering, which focuses on missions in North America, I want to give you an update on something that I heard this morning about a work that God's doing um, in Ecuador with the Moss, who are IMB missionaries. So you all heard from the four folks that went to Ecuador that were part of uh, that team, four that went from Northside. They did some work in Caballal. They did work on the school. While they were there, they made a connection with a man by the name of David, who Johnny Moss has been discipling. One of the pastors, Steve uh, Royal, has been discipling him on a weekly basis. And so Johnny has been going into Caballal, doing, starting a church um, and seeing that work be begun. And last night, David, who is a believer, but last night David's wife and a friend gave their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, would you just celebrate with that? And so God is doing a work there, and so we're thankful for that. God's also doing a work here in North America. And so we have a minute video focusing on one of our missionaries, so check out this video. Like, one of the big things that we had been praying for when we moved here was that I could find some friends in this neighborhood, and I found a lot, so that's really nice. We put ourselves out there in all kinds of ways, with neighbors and with people who heard about this new church getting started, and it is all hands on deck for the Brown family and this church plant. We started this church believing the Lord would provide, and they got to see, wow, God gave us a building. And God brought people, and sorry, it's going to make me cry, but they get a front row seat, you know, to see the Lord provide, and it's been really awesome, really awesome. So that's just one minute, just a snapshot into one of our uh, missionaries through the North American uh, Mission Board. So we've been, we've been talking about this for several weeks, but I'm thrilled this morning uh, because we have one of our own um, who, she'll share more about that when she came to Northside and how Northside had an impact in her life, but Haley um, is going to come and she's going to share about the ministry that she does, the mission that she does with Cafe 1040. Um, so Northside, we, we help her, we support her on a monthly basis, um, and so we, we think it's good to hear how God's working in the lives of those that, that we help, and she is one of our own. So Haley, would you come and would you all welcome Haley? husband Sean. We have been married for eight years and these are our two children. Um, Kenzie is about to be four years old and our son Clayton is just five months. Um, so we live up in Athens but we come down often so you have likely seen us around. Um, but Northside is actually a home for me. Like Pastor Aaron said, um, I grew up here 
My family has been attending church here since I was 13, so I was actively involved in the youth group growing up. Um, and this church played a very big part in my life as a follower of Christ and also in my journey into missions. So I was first introduced to international missions through a short-term trip with Northside. Um, we went to Jamaica, and I was just 16 years old. Um, now, that was my first time out of the country, so it was definitely out of my comfort zone. Um, but God really used that time to open my eyes to the beauty of other cultures and for his heart for all peoples. And I really just found a joy and a purpose in getting to serve. Um, so that's kind of where I caught the missions bug, so to speak. Um, and then after that, I was really encouraged by people like Mark Runyons, Larry Chappelle, Dee Dee Smith, um, to really further pursue involvement in missions. So after that, I said yes to every opportunity I could to go on more short-term trips. Um, throughout the rest of high school, I got to return to Jamaica and even went to Mexico a couple of times. And so when graduation came, um, really I had developed a true passion for missions. So I headed off to college. I attended the University of Georgia. Can I get a go dogs from anyone? Oh. Yes, my people. <laughs> uh, yes, so um, my four years at UGA, um, my passion for missions only grew. I was able to gain just greater knowledge, greater experience in missions. Um, and I started to consider how could I center my life around missions? How could I make a, a career out of this? Um, and so my senior year, I was introduced to this idea of missions mobilization, which is essentially just helping Christians find their most strategic role in missions so that every believer can actively play a part in God's mission. And that really excited me and resonated with a lot of just personal convictions I had um, and my giftings and my strengths. Um, and so that's what ultimately led me to work with Cafe 1040, a mobilization ministry. So what is Cafe 1040? Uh, before I share what we do, I wanna start with the why. Why do we exist as an organization to begin with? Um, so our aim is to reach the nations through the next generation. We have a vision to see disciples of Jesus in every people group. Um, and we have a strong conviction that that starts with prioritizing the unreached. So I know you guys are probably familiar with this term, but just for the sake of clarity, when I say unreached, I'm not talking about the lost, like your neighbor, or someone who's heard the gospel but has maybe rejected it. Um, rather, I'm talking about people groups who have little to no access to the gospel. So less than 2% evangelical Christian. Um, and out of the 17,000 people groups that exist in the world, 7,000 of them remain unreached. That's almost 40% of the world. And that's a heartbreaking reality. Uh, but the most, uh, the most interesting thing is that most of them live in a region of the world known as the 1040 window. Um, and I'm sure you've heard this term before. This is also where Cafe 1040 gets its name. Um, but this area is between 10 degrees and 40 degrees latitude spanning across West Africa all the way to East Asia. And this is home to most of these unreached people. So this is where the greatest need for the gospel resides. But the most shocking statistic is that out of all the missionaries that we send to the field, less than 5% of them are serving in the 1040 window. 5% to reach over 3.1 billion people. So that's a huge imbalance and a big problem um, and so that's the issue that we at Cafe 1040 are seeking to work against. I mean, we really believe that the key to this is, lies in the next generation. 
Um, and so we have a mission to lead that generation to tell the story of Jesus where it's never been told. Um, so young adults can get a lot of bad rap, but we really believe that God has gifted these generations with potential um, to be the next missionaries to reach the unreached. They have passion for the gospel. They have a desire for their lives to be used to make an impact. Um, and so, and they have an interest in missions. So the potential is there. Um, but the reality is that there are so many obstacles standing in their way to becoming missionaries. Maybe that's personal obstacles. They're wrestling with uncertainty and fear and insecurity about being a missionary. Or practical obstacles like paying off student debt, raising support, giving up the American dream to live in a foreign culture. Or how about getting their parents to say yes? <laughs> there are so many things that are just preventing them from being able to live out this calling God may have placed on their life. Um, and so that's where Cafe 1040 enters the scene, is that we want to come alongside these young adults questioning, is God calling me into missions? Do I actually have what it takes to say yes to that? Um, and we want to mentor them through this process of discerning to gain clarity in their calling and gain confidence in their role in missions. Um, so the primary way that we do this is through our three-month overseas missions mentorship. Um, this is a program that allows young adults to actually go and experience the realities, what it's like to be a long-term missionary among unreached people. For these 10 to 12 weeks, these students get to be immersed in a foreign culture and gain hands-on experience learning how to practically live overseas. They get to take classes in language learning, religion, and missions. Um, they even get to travel and experience all types of places and people groups to really envision what are the possibilities when you think about a life of missions. Um, and most importantly, they get to practice building relationships across cultural barriers um, and hopefully share the gospel with someone who may have never even heard the name of Jesus. All the while, the primary focus of what Cafe 1040 does is mentorship. Um, and so we provide in-depth discipleship from our staff three months before their time overseas, three months during, and even three months after to really help them process everything they've experienced and discern what God is teaching them, again, with that hope of gaining clarity and confidence in their role in missions. Um, so this program is amazing. It really has impacted the lives of so many young adults, and we have about 80% of our students coming home from overseas with a confident yes to long-term missions. Um, and so what is my role with this organization? So as a missions mobilizer, I'm involved in both recruiting and missions coaching. So as a recruiter, of course, I am the face of Cafe 1040. So I get to travel to places like missions conferences, Christian schools, churches, campus ministries, and just connect with young adults, promote Cafe 1040's program, and then have a relational follow-up with the interested students to get to hear their stories and help them discern what is my best next step. Is it Cafe 1040's program or something else? Um, and then the second part of my job is just a general missions coach for young adults. So my aim with this part is to really help young adults just grow in their awareness and their understanding of missions um, and also in their active engagement with missions. And so we have a broader scope of reach with this part of my job. Um, and I get to do things like host Bible studies focused on missions or work with churches to mobilize students, plan and host missions events, um, and even just do some one-on-one -on -one mentoring with students. Um, the last part of my job is I serve as a team lead within my company and help oversee and manage our team of 10 mobilizers nationwide, as well as lead the team in Athens focused on local mobilization. 
Um, so I've been doing this job um, for about 10 years since I graduated UGA. Um, and it's just been a real joy and reward to get to be that voice of encouragement and challenge in young adults' lives and see how they develop over time and taking next steps to go. Um, so I want to wrap up and leave you with a couple ways that you can be praying for Cafe 1040 and for me. Um, so currently we have two overseas locations in North Africa and in Europe. Um, and we're launching a third base in Central Asia next summer. We also have a stateside program that is brand new, uh, more of an educational introductory type program. So just prayers that those bases will be established and programs up and running. Um, and also would just love prayers for more students. Um, COVID kind of hit us hard, <laughs> not being able to send teams overseas and we're still recovering from those years. Um, and then for me, as I kind of come up on a decade of getting to do this, we just love prayer for just continued joy and purpose in this work wisdom as I lead my team, um, and growth for our team. We'd love to hire a couple new mobilizers. Um, and lastly, uh, just stability in my financial support. So this is where Northside comes in. Like Pastor Aaron said, um, Northside has been supporting me from the very beginning of my time with CAFE, and I am just blown away to have the support of Ascending Church that really believes in this mission and really believes in me and what God has called me to do. And it has made a tremendous difference to have such generous support over time. Not only has the church supported me, but there are multiple families in this church that have invested in me and joined my team as well. And that has just truly made the world of difference. So I'm very thankful for the support of this church. I'm always growing my team. If there's anybody who would like to learn more about what that looks like, um, I have some new needs for 2023, but I'd love to connect with anyone interested in joining the mission. Um, I do have a table of information in the foyer if you want to learn more about our programs, some staff opportunities if anyone's looking to work in ministry, um, and my support team. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much for the way that you guys support the work of CAFE and me. Thank you, Haley. We appreciate that very much. So as you mentioned, there's a table out there you can stop by if you want to learn more about the mission or maybe how you can help personally uh, support and pray for her. And then also to all of our students, so 6th through 12th grade, tonight Haley's going to be back spending some time with our students. So parents, I want to encourage you, if you can, bring your kids tonight. Maybe they don't usually come. You never know when the Holy Spirit might speak to your student and call them into missions or full-time ministry or just work in their heart in such a way that they surrender their very life and heart to Jesus. And so this is a great opportunity. They can, they'll be able to ask questions. They'll be able to learn more information. So I want to encourage you to take part of that tonight, students. Let me pray, and then we'll continue our time and worship. Father, we thank you that you are a God who still saves who still is working in the hearts and lives of lost people, unreached people, but even working in the hearts of your sons and daughters. Thank you, God, for Northside. The Northside in its past and presently and as we move forward has a heart for missions to give, to pray, to go, and to send. Thank you for Haley. Thank you, Father, for just the way she communicated so clearly, so effectively today. Her passion and her heart for Cafe 1040, for God, the way that you called and led her to missions through Northside, through specific individuals. 
Lord, that's what the church is to look like. Raising up and then sending out. Continue, Lord, to meet her needs. All that she has asked us to pray for. Father, we know that you are a God who provides. And so, God, continue to provide for her and provide us opportunities that we can partner with her in the work that you're doing through Cafe 1040. Father, be glorified as we continue to sing, as the choir will sing in a few minutes, as your word is proclaimed. Father, bring about repentance and saving faith this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand? Let's worship together.
Amen. Amen. Thank you, choir. All right, at this time, our children are going to make their way out to Children's Church. We have our pre-K class and then our K through second grade. You can make your way out those back doors. Everyone else, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We are in a series, week 3 of 7, on a series of salvation. Looking at salvation, different aspects of salvation. First week we talked about redemption, right? How we've been rescued, we've been delivered, we've been set free, right? Our chains are gone as we're set free from sin and set free from Satan. How Jesus has bought us with a price, so we've been redeemed. Last week we looked at regeneration, regeneration that work of god in us his grace and his power at work in us to give us life so redemption regeneration what happens next what happens next and so this morning what i want us to consider is conversion conversion dr martin lloyd jones writes the regenerate person comes alive and now that person is going to do something and that action marks the moment of conversion. Now let me be clear. We are not saved because of our works or what we do. It's an act of God. It's by grace. He does the work in us. But as He's working in us, it's clear you're going to do something in response. Now that what you do isn't necessarily what saves you, but you're going to do something. That inward work is going to be evidenced outwardly. That word conversion simply means a turning, a turning. So the Spirit of God is doing a work in us. You hear the gospel call, and you respond to that gospel call by turning from your sins, we call that repentance, and turning to Jesus Christ. And we call that saving faith. So this morning we're going to consider repentance and faith in response to the work that God's doing in the gospel call. So the gospel of Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Now after John, that's John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You may be seated. Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. We could spend sermons preaching on this. You're going to get it in about three to four minutes. So for hundreds of years, the Jews, right, the people of God, as seen in the Old Testament, have been anticipating the Messiah. History has been waiting. Prophets had been predicting. John the Baptist was now preparing. And then Jesus comes back into Galilee and he says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is saying, I'm here. The long-awaited Messiah has come. Your king is here. And with Jesus saying, I'm the king and I'm here, not in the way that they would think of a king. It's going to be hard for some of them to grasp that. But Jesus says, now that the king is here, that means the kingdom of God has come. And so when we talk about the kingdom of God, again, overly simplifying this, we are talking about the rule and the reign of God. 
And so theologians use this already but not yet kingdom. We describe it as an already but not yet kingdom. So when Jesus says, look, the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God has come, right? He literally means it's here. Jesus the king has come. He would pour out the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost who now resides in Jesus' followers. So Jesus could say it, Paul can say it, we can say it. The kingdom of God is here. It's active. It's moving. God is advancing that kingdom and he's doing it through the hearts and lives of his people. So when you go, you're going in the name of Jesus and the kingdom of God is advancing like it advanced yesterday in Kabayal when those two people cried out to the Lord Jesus. The kingdom is advancing. But we can also say the kingdom is not yet in that the final consummation or the final realization of God's kingdom has not yet come. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is coming again, amen? And when he comes... On that day, right, when, 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 the, when, when every knee bows and every tongue confesses, right, the kingdom of God is then going to be seen in its fulfillment. It's going to come. So Jesus is saying the king is here. And with my presence comes the kingdom of God. And so the question has to be asked, how do we then enter into the kingdom of God? Are we physically born into the kingdom? Like I was physically born to parents in Lexington, Kentucky who were citizens of America, therefore I'm born into my citizenship and America. No, you're not born into the kingdom physically in that way. Do you enter into the kingdom through works? No, that's not how you enter into the kingdom of God. You enter into the kingdom of God, I'll remind you from last week, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. So once you are born again, how then do you respond? Is there any outward evidence of your being born again? And the answer is yes, and Jesus clearly states it for us here, and he says two things. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. That word repent appears in the verb form. This is an action. You are going to do something. You're going to repent, which means to reverse course, to change one's way. Repentance results in a changed life. You're changing the direction in which you're going. You're making a change. It's also in the imperative, which means it's a what? It's a command. Repentance is not optional. You cannot have salvation without repentance. You can't enter into the kingdom of God unless you first repent. He says you must repent. Now, when we talk about repentance, what do we mean? Two things. Number one, repentance involves sorrow for one's actions. Now, we got to clarify. When I mean sorrow, I'm not just talking about remorse or feeling sorry. There is a difference between sorrow for the consequences of sin and being sorrowful over your sin. So take little Johnny, seven years old, going to get a cookie out of the cookie jar when he's not supposed to, and you catch him in the act, and Johnny gets in trouble. Is Johnny sorry because he got caught, 
and there's a consequence, or is he sorry because he realized taking that cookie was wrong? Well, how long's Johnny been doing this? You realize he's been doing it for a month. And then you realize, had Johnny not been caught, he would have kept going to the cookie jar. He's sorry because mama caught him and whooped his hiney or took away his electronics or can't have cookies for a month, right? That's why he's sorry. So when we talk about repentance, it's not a, oh no, I'm going to cry over my sin. I'm sorry, and then I'm going to go back to doing it. Or you're sorry because your wife found out or your kids caught you or the pastor caught you or the deacon called you out on it, and now it's public, and you're like, man, I'm going to be sorrowful for this. So it's not just the consequences. You're actually having sorrow over the very sin that you keep committing, which leads to the second part, and this is key. It involves forsaking or renouncing your sin. You don't excuse your sin. You don't downplay your sin. You don't blame others for your sin. You don't ignore your sin. You don't flaunt your sin. You repent of your sin. You forsake that very thing that is in disobedience to the God who created you and who loves you and who sent Jesus to die for that sin. You confess your sin and you turn from it and you turn to Jesus. Listen, it's not you turn from this sin to a different sin. It's not that. You turn from this sin and you turn to Jesus. And that repentance requires all of your faculties. So repentance involves the mind. It comes to the point where you realize, whether it's in the reading of God's Word on your own, or through a sermon, or through a Sunday school teacher, you realize in your mind, this very thing that I'm doing, God's Word says this is sin. So you now know it in your mind. It involves the mind. It also involves the emotions. There may not be weeping over your sin, but you're going to take it to heart. You're not going to say, eh, not that big of a deal. You're going to be broken when you begin to realize this very thing that I'm doing is a sin that Jesus died to save me from, and I keep doing it. And so your emotions begin to feel this sorrow, but then listen, it involves the will. I will turn from this sin. Jesus, I don't want to do this sin any longer. Change my heart. Change my will. Change my desires so that the thing that I used to love, I now hate and want no part of it. See, in forsaking sin, you go from one who loved their sin to one who now hates their sin. Not because you don't like the consequences, but because you now love Jesus. And you now know that Jesus died to save you from your sins, and you don't want to keep committing the sins that Jesus died to save you from. Listen, I believe, I believe that I can preach on hell, I believe that I can preach on the reality of hell, and I believe for some people, when they hear about hell and they deserve hell because of their sin, they're going to turn and they're going to come to Jesus. But that fear only lasts so long. What has to happen is they realize, oh no, I deserve hell. But what really will set them free from their sin is seeing who Jesus is. And when they begin to love Jesus more than they love that sin. And so it must, it must involve repentance. Hear me. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you repent of that sin. Hear me. This isn't a one-time thing you do 
like on June 18, 1990 when I was saved. You don't repent of your sins once and move on. Repentance is an ongoing mark of the believer in Jesus Christ. So the reality is this morning, every single one of us should repent. There's something in our lives that we know shouldn't be there, and maybe we haven't realized it or we've ignored it, but this morning there is a call for believers to repent of their sins, to identify. On the way here, I was praying, Lord, what sin is in my life that I've got to repent of? Make it clear to me. I want to see it, and I want to turn from it. So there is repentance. But secondly, there is saving faith. Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. Now, every time I do a new members class, I talk about these three aspects of, of saving faith. And so I don't know if I've done this on a Sunday morning in worship before or not. I know I've talked about it um, in the new members class. But when we think about what is saving faith, there's three things we have to consider. We have to understand the first two are necessary, but in and of themselves, it is not enough for you to be saved. So the first thing is knowledge. It's information. It's content. It's knowing the facts. So we're going to use a chair right here. So imagine you're from some remote village, and you have no idea what this is. Like, you've just walked in, and you're sitting in one now, obviously, so you figured out what it is. But let's say you just walk in, and you're standing, and you're like, what in the world is this? Tell me more about this. And so I say to you, this is a chair. You have now just learned information. Something you did not know, you now know we call this a chair. What is it for? Well, it is for you to sit in so that we're all not having to stand and listen to me preach. You sit in it. You now have information. When I say to you, Jesus Christ died for you, you now have information. So hear me, this is key. If you walked in here this morning and you have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're about to. And so now you have no excuse. You're about to hear. You're about to get information. That information is, I believe that this is the word of God, that Jesus is who he said he is, the son of God, that he's the Messiah, that he is the Christ, that he is the Savior, and that Jesus died on a cross for you and has been raised from the dead. And if you would put your faith and your trust in him, he will save you and he will reconcile you. He will forgive you of your sins. You now have information, but hear me, that information isn't enough to save you. You say, well, pastor, how do you know? Because James tells us the demons believe and they tremble. Anybody think demons are saved? They know who Jesus is. In Romans chapter 1, verse 32, we read this. They knew God's decree. They knew it. They had the information, but they rebelled against it. And so it starts with knowledge. Jesus died for you. You now know that, but that's not enough to save you. So secondly, you then have to have agreement. You have to agree. You have to assent to this is true. I, I believe this. So again, we go to this chair. Hey, sir, this is a chair, and you can sit on it, and you can look at me and say, you are out of your mind. I don't believe that that's called a chair and that you can sit in it. So you, you've heard the information, but you don't agree that this is a chair. Or you could say, ah, a chair? I can sit in this and rest my weary legs? You have convinced me. I'm persuaded that this is a chair. So you have heard the information that Jesus is the Savior. You have knowledge. 
but now you have to agree. And we have many people who will agree. Oh, I'm persuaded. I believe that Jesus actually died upon a cross. I believe that he's not just some made-up figure. I believe that he's not just a madman or a lunatic, but that he actually is who he says he is. I agree with this information, this content that you have shared with me, but hear me, that is still not saving faith. And this is terrifying. And one day we'll find out if it's true or not. But I'm in agreement with many who said that hell is going to be filled with people who knew the gospel, even agreed with the gospel, but were never saved. Because they never believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Which takes us to the last thing that is necessary for saving faith, and that is personal trust. Listen, you've got the information. This is a chair. You're persuaded that this is a chair. But that does you no good unless you what? Sit in the chair. I'm always afraid the chair is going to fall when I do that, but it did not. But you have now just shown me, you not only know this is a chair, you're persuaded that it's a chair, but that you actually believe it's going to do what it said it's going to do. You've actually sat down. You placed all of your weight and your weary legs on that chair. Brothers and sisters, that is saving faith. That's what Romans chapter 10 teaches us. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10 says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're confessing it. He is not just Lord, but he's my Lord. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And the verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It, you come to the point where you say, Yes, I know who Jesus is. I know what he did. I'm persuaded to believe it. And I am putting all of my life and all of my trust and all of my hope in Jesus. That only he can save me. Brothers and sisters, you can sit in a church your entire life and never do that. You can realize, man, he's everybody else's Savior. But in the back of your mind, you're still riding your own coattails into heaven, thinking you're good enough, you've done enough, never coming to the point where you cry out, Jesus died for me. He's my Savior. That is faith. And if you are not willing to repent and turn from your sins and believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved, then you are not saved. You are lost, and you need Jesus. So in the remainder of our time, I just want to consider one thing and look at it from two different aspects. Jesus says, repent and believe. What happens if we ignore one of those two commands? Now hear me, there are millions of people who obviously are ignoring both of them. They refuse to repent of their sins, they refuse to acknowledge it as sin, and they are certainly not trusting in Jesus Christ. So they're doing none of them. But what happens, and people do this, if we only emphasize one and ignore the other? What happens if we say yes to belief, yes to 
Jesus is Savior, but we say no to repentance. Now hear me, that's not a biblical position, but what if we do it? What if we say, yes, I believe that Jesus is my Savior, so I'm trusting that He'll save me, deliver me from hell, but we do not repent of our sins. Here's what happens. In many people, Jesus is Savior, but He is not their Lord. June 18th, 1990, when I gave my life to Jesus, when I acknowledged that I was a sinner in need of a Savior, I had heard the gospel and I responded to the gospel. I knew I was a sinner, I repented of my sins, and I believed in the name of Jesus. But what happened is nobody really followed that up with, he's your Savior, now you are to follow him as Lord. Nobody ever really talked to me that that meant not just a one-time repentance, but an ongoing walk with the Lord in repentance. So what happened in this 10-year-old's life is for two and a half years, some sins begin to develop in me that I knew Jesus would save me from, but quite honestly, I was not repenting and turning from. They remained habitually in my life until 1992 on a youth trip when somebody told me that if Jesus was Savior, that meant he also had to be Lord. It couldn't be one or the other. And that meant the sins that were in my life, as I wrote them down on a piece of paper, and literally walked up to a cross that was in the floor and nailed those sins to the cross, it was a reminder to me that I could not live in these sins. They must be confessed. They must be turned from. I must repent of those sins. I learned that. I should have learned that two and a half years prior, but it, it became clear to me. Now, I would love to say to you that since then, I've never committed sin, that there's never been habitual sin in my life, but if I said that, I would be lying, and that is a sin. Every single one of us in this room, so right now I'm speaking to believers. I'm speaking to those of you who you've given your life to Jesus, you've put your hope and trust in Jesus. For every one of us, there are constantly sins that need to be repented of. Sometimes those are just every now and then sins. For some of you in this room, it is, it's an habitual sin that is enslaving you. And right now, you have to choose. How are you going to respond to that? If you refuse to repent of that, then you are believing that Jesus can be your Savior, get you out of hell, but he doesn't care how you live your life. And that's not the gospel. Jesus not only died to forgive you of your sins, but to set you free from them. So repent and believe. But what about the other way? What if we say yes to repentance, but no to saving faith? Again, that's not a biblical position. But what if you would say, Pastor, listen, I want to repent. I don't like this sin. I want to turn from this sin. But then you say, but you don't know where I've been. You don't know the sins I've committed. There is not a chance that God could actually forgive me of my sins. I would say to you, you've got the repentance part right, but you've not really come to believe who the God is that created us. Because what does he say? He says, repent and believe. He doesn't say only some of you can come. Right? He just says, come to me. Come to me. Bring all of your sin. And you will find a Savior who will forgive you of all of that sin. Now, as we land the plane, when Jesus says, repent and believe, he's just not making up language that would have been foreign to God's people. 
This was language they would have understood. And so we go back to the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 and 7, and listen to these words. Let these words wash over you. Let these words, for some of you who are beating yourself up, thinking God cannot forgive you, let these words comfort you. But for those of you who are living in defiant sin, let these words break you. May God break your spirit right now through repentance that he can then build you back up to your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to these words as we close. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe some of you in this room you're realizing right now you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never experienced the forgiveness of sins. God has never rescued you and saved you. Maybe you never thought you needed it till right now as the Spirit of God is opening your eyes and working in your heart and you're saying, what do I do? Don't put it off. You're not promised tomorrow. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now listen to this. Let the wicked forsake his way. Repent, repent, forsake your way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, and hear this, for he will abundantly pardon. And that pardoning that the prophet Isaiah speaks of is realized and fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ who laid down his life on that cross so that all who would repent and believe on the name of Jesus might be saved. This is a message calling each of us lost or saved to repentance and to ongoing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not you that save yourself. But you, responding to the work of God and the call of God, are to repent and believe. Have you repented and have you believed? Are you walking in repentance and are you walking in ongoing faith? If you are not, then hear the word of the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Lord God, in your word, in Acts 17, 30, we read, he commands all people everywhere to repent. God, all people, includes every single person in this place and watching online right now on this Sunday in March. And all people everywhere includes those people right now here sitting at this place that we call Northside Baptist Church. And anyone sitting in their living rooms or driving down the road right now listening on the radio, you are calling us right now. Spirit of God, you are working in our hearts. You are drawing us to repent. So God, my prayer is that you would take that man, that woman, that child, that senior adult, who has never repented and who has never believed. And right now, through your grace, that you would draw them to yourself. That they would hear the voice of God so clearly, as I heard it so clearly on June 18, 1990, that they would hear. And God, that their, their hearts would be broken as they see their sin and as they see a holy God. 
And they would confess that sin and turn from that sin and cry out, Lord Jesus, you died for me, now save me. Father, for the man, the woman, for our students, even for our children, who say, I am a born-again follower of Jesus Christ. God, right now, what sin is in our heart? What sin have we hidden and tucked away that nobody knows? What is slowly destroying us? Stealing the joy of our salvation. God, maybe it's one person in this room. Maybe it's 50 people in this room. But right now, Lord God, will they repent? Spirit of God, impress upon their heart to repent and to believe. Father, maybe that sin is simply one of disobeying your call. God, maybe you've been speaking to somebody in this room, as Haley talked about, about missions. You've been drawing them and working in their heart, and they've been resisting that call because they're afraid or they're scared or it doesn't line up with their will. God, would you bring them to that place of repentance, of realizing that not only are you Savior, but that you are Lord. God, maybe there's parents in this room. Their children, Lord, are, are being called into missions or into a different area in their life to serve the Lord Jesus. And, and parents are struggling with that call, as Haley alluded to. And I've seen this in my own life and through experiences in, in pastoring. And those parents are against that and pushing back because, God, what you're doing in their kids' hearts isn't in line with what they believed. And so, Father, will they trust you? Will they surrender? Will we offer up our kids to you and say, Lord, use them for your glory how you see fit? Father, lead us to a place of repentance and of faith. Save today, we pray. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. The altar is open. If you need to come and pray, if you need to pray where you are, let's worship together.
seated for just a moment. Thank you, praise team. Just a couple of announcements. Um, parents night out, and we've had a great turnout for that so far, people signing up. I believe today's the last day that you can do that, so parents, if you want to take advantage of that, you need to see Miss Heather after the service when you go out to your left, I believe is where, where she'll be, that's where she was last week. Register, sign up for that. Um, today, our senior friends will have their monthly meeting uh, and covered dish luncheon on Thursday, March 30th at 11.30 a.m. Please sign up for that. That helps them if they know how many are coming. Annie Armstrong Easter offering, I didn't mention this earlier, but you can continue to give to that. Envelopes are there in the pew. You see our goal and how much we have raised. Um, today, you see our information about our Easter services, and then you see an announcement in there about a um, bridal shower this afternoon at 2 o'clock. Uh, so again, thinking about our, our own, right? So Adam, Chappelle, and then uh, Miss Michaela. Um, and so hope, I, I know you're planning, some of you know them, you're planning to come to that. So that starts at 2 o'clock to celebrate with um, them. It's been a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Don't forget, on your way out, you can stop by and see Miss Haley um, out there. And again, she'll be speaking with our youth tonight. So I encourage you to come be a part of that. All right, Pastor Gary PG, if you'll come up and end our service with a benediction, if you'll stand. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great gospel that you have called us to this morning. I pray that we would be obedient, Lord, that we would follow, that we wouldn't be scared, Lord of whatever we may think of it, whatever people may say, Lord, that we would serve you as our king, and that, we, that we would follow you as our Lord. So we pray as we go out this week, Lord, may we reevaluate our hearts, that we know that you are indeed our God, and that we are indeed your people. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.